Scott Miller here. We interviewed Hugh McCrory for podcast number 15 of Purpose in Retirement. We edited the interview for length and clarity, but both Juanita and I were so fascinated as we discussed his work that we've provided the full interview here in case you would like to learn more. Hugh, thank you so much for joining us today. For the 2022 season of Purpose in Retirement, we're talking with industry innovators and leaders like you who are offering new and emerging technologies that can help us discover opportunities to live with purpose and community. Hugh, you're taking data and making music. I'm totally simplifying it here, but your efforts with Sonify are certainly challenging us to think about data differently. Yes, thank you. And uh, firstly, thank you for inviting me on to talk about this today. Uh, what I'm working with is the idea around, you know, data is essentially the currency of the, the web and mm -hmm. data is growing exponentially. But the way data is presented is quite limiting. It's, it's only visual. So a lot of my work is based on the concept of how could we add sound and how could we also take advantage of new behaviors and new emerging technologies to see if we can add value in any way to how we can present that data to people and, and drive better connections. Yeah, and that is, that, that is so, you know, unlike the way we typically think, it might be helpful for our listeners if you could talk a little bit about your background and experience. Well, you might have picked up a little bit of an accent. <laughs> I, I grew up in the north of Ireland, a, a place called Derry, pretty much as far north as you can go. And before I moved to the US, tw which is about 12 years ago now, mm -hmm. I, I'd run uh, a production studio so we made film uh both documentary and fiction but we also worked in computer animation and a lot of stuff you know where like you could just see how quickly digital was advancing you know it, i'm sure you all know from your own ex experience that you know things improve things get better things get faster things get hopefully easier to create as uh, you know, each year passes by. And, and we were very much involved in the early wave of how could we work with digital machines to make expand creativity and you know, look at how we interact with machines, what we can get them to do, but very much from the purpose of not just trying to make machines better, but trying to see could that allow us to create and communicate uh, in in different ways? And a lot of that work bizarrely ended up, a real turning point for me was when I was invited by Yale University in Connecticut, their School of Medicine Molecular Imaging Department invited me to come over and spend the summer of 2007 in residence with their scientists and uh, you know their postdoctoral fellows, etc., who were doing research on cells. Okay. And up until that point, my world for all of this stuff was images and sounds. And when I was at 
Yale and, and looking at the workflow, like looking at, you know, how, how they did their imaging. That's when data showed up for me for the first time, because when they're creating images, they're not necessarily using a camera. And that mm. would be true of like NASA as well. It, in a lot of cases, what they're doing is taking a large amount of data and creating an image from that data. So that that really opened my eyes in a sense to uh, how, you know, on a real nuts and bolts practical level, all of the images that we see in digital space are just ones and zeros. Mm -hmm. uh, all of the sounds that we hear are just ones and zeros. So therefore, and data is also ones and zeros uh, in, in its pure form. So data can be made to look like or sound like or react to essentially anything. But when you look at the entire field of data and how it's communicated, it seems almost self-policed by experts into a corner or wrapped in a bubble where nobody seems to be able to think beyond creating pie charts or bar charts mm -hmm. as the best way to explain this. And, you know, th those are both good ways to explain data, but they're, they're certainly not the only way to explain data. And, and a lot more is possible. And, you know, we, we all just lived through two years uh, of a pandemic where in the early stages, access to, you know, quality, timely, trusted data, you know, what it was literally a life or death issue in the early stages of the pandemic. So there, there's a lot at stake here to being able to improve these systems. And, uh, you know, there's stuff in development as well in every city in the world, uh, the Internet of Things is literally sensors put into everything. So the amount of data that's going to be picked up by a city or, you know, a community is is going to grow exponentially. Mm -hmm. And then we've got new behaviors like people listen to books, people navigate with GPS. It's just convenient, you know, to, to be able to add sound, for instance. Mm -hmm. But also we're going to be moving into a world of self-driving vehicles, uh, etc., and and our whole world is being designed for certainly in America for the automobile. So there, there's big, big changes afoot. And what do we do with all that data? How can we empower people? How can we make their life a little bit easier, or inform them, or you know, make them more engaged? Uh, and I'm not necessarily sure that texting people bar charts is going to be <laughs> the, the best way of, of dealing with our near future. I would agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> so, Hugh, you talked about um, being from the north of Ireland, working at Yale. Where are you based now? Like, where, where are you working out of? Uh, I'm working in high tech uh, in... <laughs> Rural Vermont. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds beautiful. <laughs> so uh, essentially, we're in a little village. Uh, myself and my wife, who's also the co-founder of the company I do, and she's she teaches data at the new school in, in New York and, and has done for many years. 
but we're we're in this place called Worcester, Vermont, which is 15 minutes north of the state capital. So close enough to access anything you'd need, but far enough away to not have to deal with people if you don't want to. What tool are you building right now? So you know, what do you what do you have the opportunity to work on? So a few years ago, we built uh, a tool with support from Google News Initiative. We built a tool to turn data into music. And that tool was called Two-Tone, T-W-O-T-O-N-E. And if you put a dot I-O at the end of that, that's the web address. So Two-Tone.io. Anybody listening can go on there. It's free. It's really, really simple to use. And we created it because data sonification is, is the term for turning data into music. And we didn't invent that. That's been around for decades. And you know, it, it's used in science labs, it's used by NASA, like I mentioned, it's it's used, you know, in financial markets, etc. But a tool that was available online didn't really exist you know everybody approaches this as something that they build in-house and and it, it takes a lot and costs a lot of money and it's very very complicated but but it doesn't need to be complicated so we demonstrated that by building this free open source web-based tool uh, at my previous company and we put that out online and the way it works is you upload a spreadsheet and your spreadsheet has different columns and rows and it will automatically take the first column and give it an instrument. So if your data is going from zero to 10, which all data pretty much does, unless it's text based, if it's numerical, it, it kind of goes in those increments and you can just make that the keys of a piano. So you can, it does that automatically. You just bring in a data set, press play, and it'll play the first column as a piano. But then you can hit a big plus button and choose the next column and then pick a different instrument. And again, it'll default. It tries to help you as, as much as it can. So it'll probably give you like a, a double bass or something like that. And quite quickly, you can hear your data. Now, you're hearing in a very different way than you would see, and that's okay, uh, because we're not trying to replace people looking at data. We're trying to give them something that they don't have right now, which is the ability to hear the data. And when you're listening, you might not be listening trying to pick out every number. It, listening is much more suited to either giving you a quick overview like if you like painting a picture with sound of the data it's kind of like giving you the lid of a jigsaw box uh, to be able to understand what's in the puzzle but it also allows you to do things which a visual representation can't uh, enable like you can be at the other side of the room making some tea or coffee and can hear when something changes. You can filter your data to mm. set an alarm, which to me could be incredibly useful because 
you know, we didn't always live in Vermont. My uh, my company was based in New York City, in Brooklyn, and it's very clear when you live in Brooklyn that sometimes you can hear the fire engine, mm-hmm. maybe a whole minute before you can see it. So having sound as well as pitcher or sound instead of pitcher just seems to me like you know what harm can it do it's (laughs) certainly a it's certainly a useful thing to have rather than to completely exclude can you explain data sonification and what does that mean so data sonification if you look at how it's explained I, i don't necessarily agree with the strict definition of how it's explained. So if, if you go to Wikipedia or something like that, uh, it'll tell you that data sonification is the use of non-speech audio to convey data or perceptualize information. And by non-speech audio, obviously they mean sounds or music. That That's pretty mm-hmm. much it. Uh, What's interesting is that uh, just before, at the end of last year, I had the privilege of being invited to speak on a panel at Stanford University about the future of the web as a voice web, uh, where you know we'd maybe be able to speak to the internet, uh, and why can't we? You know. That natural language processing, uh, artificial intelligence is easily becoming able to understand spoken language. And, you know, we have Google Home and Amazon Alexa and, and all these things. Yeah. Um, so why, why can't I speak to the web and order a table at a restaurant, and et cetera? So, but what's interesting there and why I mentioned that is that that's called the voice web. And where sonification kind of defines itself strictly by not using voice, voice defines itself by not using sonification. Ah, (laughs) It limits itself to language and that has a limitation as well. And when you talk to the scientists engaged in voice, they say, well, you know, we're wrestling with things like how to build a human connection and and how to convey emotion. And and that's actually the definition of what music does. Mm -hmm. Music's strongest thing is is conveying emotion, conveying a feeling. And also, you know, it has amazing power that's been very well researched to build human connection and, and social bonds and this stuff. So I... I think because I'm coming in as an outsider, I'm not a data scientist. I see the bubbles, if yeah. you know what I mean, that people work in. I see that voice is limiting itself and it doesn't need to. Uh, sonification is limiting itself and it doesn't need to because I'll talk more about this later, but I, I've just done a year-long uh, project with the blind and visually impaired community and they have very much told me that adding human voice to data sonification makes it way easier to understand and and that just makes sense Mm -hmm. you know because it's giving it context it's uh uh, you know i don't see why we shouldn't combine these things rather than using strict definitions so it in a sense that when i'm asked to define sonification 
I'm like, we need to broaden that definition. We need to bring in not just turning data into music, but adding human voices, adding what we know about sound design for music and games and how that can convey feelings and moods and, and that kind of stuff. And then also what we know from music theory itself, because when I was working on the project with blind people, uh, they use a screen reader to deal with the web. Actually, I, I found out that the blind community are the biggest hacker community out mm. there because they've had to hack every single piece of technology that they've ever been given because they're never included in the building. Mm. They're, never, they're never discussed with, you know, like, the, oh, we're going to build this thing. And lots of mistakes could be... Uh, solved and prevented if we just talk to people <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the national federation for the blind gave a brilliant example where there's you know there's braille signs on the wall in public bathrooms but who wants to be feeling around the wall of a public bathroom <laughs> true yeah very true <laughs> Um, so, you know, consulting people is a good idea. But what I was going to say about screen readers is that screen readers point out a great limitation of speech in that speech is linear. Speech starts at the beginning and then just keeps going. Like if you think about a spreadsheet, speech will, or a screen reader will start at the top of column one and keep reading until column one is done. And then it'll move over and do the same thing to column two. So a blind person has to make that picture of what's there you know hold all that in their head and when they do they know the data better than anyone else but it takes a long time and mm -hmm. if we move forward and design a voice web like that we're kind of missing an opportunity to you know have a voice do what it does but then have some music notes also tell you something else or, or let you understand multiple columns at the same time. So I sort of a, around that whole idea, you know, you mentioned the, the website Two Tone um, that you mm -hmm. had done and then, and now we're talking about, you know, um, sonification. How does your work now take that idea from Two Tone and, and improve upon it? Well, people love Two Tone, but they sort of miss that it was just an experiment, you know, right. like Tootoon wasn't built to be a solution of anything. It was kind of, it, it's really fun. And I can teach anybody how to use it in five minutes. It's, it's, it's ridiculously easy. If you can use Instagram, you can use Tootoon. It's, it's, it, there's not a lot of steps and it walks you through. I first demoed Tootoon to a class of nine-year-olds and they were using it in five minutes. So. <laughs> Early adopters, <laughs> nine-year-olds. Yeah, so the software doesn't have to be complicated. You know, like lots of people try to make it compl complicated and, and that's old fashioned. Like if you look at something like Adobe Photoshop, it's terrifying. There's so many drop downs and all these different things that you need to know and compare that to Instagram or TikTok where you just hit a filter and that's it. Yeah. You know? yep. So. Two-tone super easy, but it was sort of designed to be a general purpose tool. So it's not, it's not great at a specific task. Like it's, you know, it, it wasn't built to be accessible for blind people, for instance. 
and then we ended up working with them to find out how we could build something useful that was so we're working on that now uh the you know two-tone isn't a great tool for scientists or musicians uh or any you know niche niche community it, it's just something that demonstrates the process and you can make pretty cool things with it uh but what we're working on now rather than the next tool is we're working on smaller little pieces of software that that do a job for people or add some value to things that they're trying to do and you know that we're just launching right now a midi out which if there's anybody who knows about music two-tone had you know like a less than 10 instruments built into the tool but a midi out allows you to take what you've built into tone and bring it into your professional studio or uh, add any synthesizers or digital audio equipment or whatever so it kind of it allows a musician to go from crayons to oil paints (laughs) by adding that feature and they're no longer limited at all and then they can use you know not just pitch and volume but they can use all the all the different things like um you know duration and like all, all the different properties of music can be tweaked in parameters but then we're also working on uh, new software which looks at how can we generate both audio and images mm. from directly from the spreadsheet or, or the data set so like you know we're we're thinking about that in a in a slightly different way that's right now the way we're thinking could be called audio first so it's not audio only and i'll give you an example an audio first system would be gps in your car so you know it's an audio system that happens to have pictures that are you know they're not hollywood movie pictures they're graphics that mm-hmm. uh, maybe have little dots on them and, and things like that and, and make uh you know reflect in a different way what you're hearing i spent a little bit of time on the two-tone website and simply used one of the available data sets you know kind of like you said it was it was built very easily and so i was able to pick it up by myself in just a couple minutes. Um, and it had to do with honey production in the US between 1998 and two, 2012. And so playing with the sounds and the data sets helped me really understand your big idea. this makes sense when you do it 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 sounds complicated when we talk about it and use big words like data sonification etc but what you just experience by working with the you know the built-in honey production data set is that you understood what's called mapping where you're taking what's in a spreadsheet and then mapping that to sounds mm-hmm. and in the case of two-tone you were mapping it to pitch so you can hear what a low sound is and, and maybe that's a two or a three 
and then you can also hear probably like what an eight or a nine sounds like and those are different and when you hit play and you listen to a spreadsheet there's kind of like an ebb and flow like waves on a beach and that's what paints the the picture so you know it it sounds complicated but it really isn't it's yeah. just uh, can you tell if something's high if something's low and then you know with some of our new software that we're working on um you will be able to you know try to you'll be able to use a broader range of sound in order to make different sounds very different from each other so that it's much easier to hear the difference uh between different values so that's partly what we're working on now and also our website uh you can go on our website which is sonify s-o-n-i-f-y dot i-o and on the sonify website we've added this free to join community called the lab and you can sign up just like give your name and your email address and, and a link to where you exist online that's our way of making sure you're not a robot sure. uh, so if you sign up it's completely free to sign up to the lab and what we're doing with the lab is that we're pushing these new pieces of software to the people that are uh, part of that community and they'll be able to try out things first and uh, give us feedback and, and you know kind of play around with uh, the new software that our that our team creates that's really exciting absolutely thank you Along that line then, um, what's your thinking? Where will Sonify be a year from now, several years from now? Where's this all going? Uh, you know, we've moved beyond the phase of explaining why we should do this. Uh, no, we spent the last year testing uh, what we have built and testing certain hypotheses around you know, does this add value? Is it something that can have general use? Is it something that can be useful for people that are blind or visually impaired? Uh, we're, we're moving now into the phase of refining some of the tools and putting that stuff out into the wild for people to use in, you know, like the, the project we did with the blind community twinned up advisors from that community to work with hyper local newsrooms in wichita kansas and they were small teams or sometimes single teams of publishers who came from a variety of backgrounds one was the local library for instance another was a print magazine and by working on this project with us and really listening to the advisors from the, the blind community, all of the local publishers moved into podcasting. So oh, it's interesting. Uh, yeah. Hmm. It's quite interesting that I'm on a podcast talking about this. <laughs> <laughs> the findings of our uh, project are also available on our sonify.io website. It's, called, it's just Wichita Project. Okay. It's, it's uh, presented quite 
prominently so you'll be able to find that but it's interesting that uh there isn't there's hardly any examples at all of of data sonification used in podcasting but when you put the two together they work like how else are you going to do data on a podcast what are you going to do like describe the bar chart or read out the spreadsheet so you know being able to turn data into music and make that part of your story actually is a great way to do something different and connect and and you know when i talk about data people might think about the stock market but you know sports fans are obsessed with data <laughs> they are yes they are <laughs> they can go back to like baseball in like 1930 and tell you things that and you know so the data is a very broad thing and, and data is a it's a way to back up your argument if you're a small community or if you have an issue locally or if you're trying to you know add weight to what you're saying or or engage people around what you're saying being able to work with data is uh you know adds, adds a lot of credibility and weight and making that easy allows people to uh much more people to be able to do that so that that's a lot of what we're we're working on right now and and uh using sonification in podcasts that it's just such a great fit that and it's so easy to do that you know we we talk to some podcast experts and advisors in france and they were like every podcaster should know that this is another tool and essentially a free tool that they can work with so what are some of the ways that you've tested the idea of sonify well we you know we've done a lot of testing we we've presented at we presented at quite a few events before uh the covid pandemic shut a lot of face-to-face -face things down but we we worked on this year-long project with funded by the knight foundation with the teams in wichita and next year there's a major project in luxembourg europe called the sound of data where uh there's going to be all sorts of events and conferences taking public data turning it into music trying to bridge the gap between scientists and musicians and the public Neat. so they're wow. they're using two tone and they're using a lot of our tools because uh where we see where we see the value of this and it's worth stressing it's it's not necessarily on the uh analysis of data it's it's not in you know uh that area or that business area it's much more in the how do we tell people what the data is saying like like if you think about climate change for instance you know that that message is very very hard to get through in an engaging way although you know you're seeing movies now like don't look up etc right yeah mm -hmm. But when it gets to the oh we have data, it, to be very honest, it's so boring. Those slides mm -hmm. are so boring that people just tune out. Mm -hmm. And that's true of everything, not, not just climate change. It's it, there's so much data, there's so much stuff there, there's so many stories that we can tell. But how do we make the stories sort of more interesting? And how do we connect in different ways? And like 
you know, why can't I listen to it in my car on the way to work? You know, why do I ha have to be squinting at charts on a screen mm -hmm. to get any value out of this? And and in the senior community as well, that's gonna just that's gonna just exclude so many people whose eyesight isn't that good anymore. Yep. You know, at one point you had given the um, analogy about the 1920s and how movies were silent and that was just fine. Um, can you yes. talk a little bit about that that evolution of music in movies and how you see this impacting what how we view data? Yeah, uh, it's a useful analogy. So pretty much 100 years ago, uh, sound came into movies for the first time it was the 1920s a movie called the jazz singer is usually credited as the first sound movie in hollywood and prior to that we had you know what was it 40 years or something of movies mm -hmm. that didn't have any sound and you know you'd go and see a silent movie like uh, they were called silent movies mm -hmm. kind of the way right now uh, they call things data visualization as if it can only have one sense <laughs> um, so back then you know they that was just the way it was uh, it didn't have sound but it also didn't have any color mm -hmm. and you know I used to teach uh, at university back in Belfast I taught at Queen's University there in the film department i taught modules on the history of cinema and if you look back at that time people were like why would you want to add sound mm -hmm. why would you do that that that's ridiculous who wants to hear what an actor says like, who wants to do these things and sound you could argue sound had a detrimental effect on the visual because prior to when they invented sound like if you think about a uh a silent movie in your mind they're they're kind of crazy you know you've got like 30 people on top of a moving car and you've got like people hanging off buildings and you know all sorts of wackiness and stunts and uh anarchy in a sense and then you contrast that to the 1930s and everybody's standing still and there's two actors and there's a large plant in between <laughs> where the mic is <laughs> exactly exactly so, so sound made everything static and sound made everything more theatrical but so, but people loved it and it brought uh, a lot of it brought so much interest from the public that uh you, you just couldn't make a movie that didn't have sound anymore it, it, it's kind of you know well you can and and people have i mean there was even stuff you know recently uh, made without sound but it's kind of like choosing to use actual film in your camera instead of digital and do it in a dark room or uh you know making things in black and white yes you can do that but it's not the norm it's no longer the norm and what's interesting when you um, examine sound in movies is that most people think that the sound in movies is the actors talking and a little bit of music but the sound operates in a very different way in a very like subconscious subliminal kind of way to make your feelings go up and down 
and that's called sound design and it, it's a very well developed art with lots of different principles that that I, I I mentioned briefly earlier that what we already know about what sound does for movies and games needs to be brought into how sound works as mm. a communication system with data because it doesn't just represent what you see it adds to that and it brings in things that only music and sound and uh, the textures of all of that can do so as you uh, sort of look way out into the future i think you've sort of hinted this a little bit but um, what sort of what sort of potential do you see for um, for this um, as we sort of wrap up here? Well, prior to working uh, in this iteration of uh, my research and work, I ran a virtual reality company uh, for a couple of years where you know literally people were strapped in the headsets and, and we were looking at data in that regard we were looking at you know 3d interactive data where you'd be wearing a like a headset and you'd be able to have controllers and move around in this metaverse as facebook and mark zuckerberg well what used to be called facebook it's now called meta uh that idea of a future and that Yes, that future may come, but I don't see a world where everybody's wearing a virtual reality headset and being fed through a tube on their couch. <laughs> yeah, I, I would agree. Hopefully not. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and what I see is like a kind of, like a more fleshed out system of choices where, you know, you might have, so virtual reality cuts you off from the world. It, it you know, it works on immersion and what's called presence to replace the world that you're in with something else. And it's, it's magical and it's amazing that our brains accept that. Uh, and, uh, you know, it also has potential for a lot of potential healing and psychological uh, impact. But it's not very practical to, like, go buy some milk wearing a VR headset. You're going to die. Right. Um, yeah. So they have this stuff called augmented reality. And augmented reality, uh, you wear glasses and it puts little digital displays or pictures into your field of view. But again, that, that strikes me as something that excites, you know, 20-year-old tech founders. For me, I think sound is sound has to be there as a full experience because sound doesn't need any of that stuff sound can just be a set of earbuds mm. that don't cut you off from the world allow you to get on with your day-to-day -day life but also then allow you to be informed in new ways and there's new technology in audio now called spatial audio uh, s-p-a-t-i-a-l so spatial audio is the first new thing since stereo. And, and what that does is it allows audio to be positioned around you in space. And then when you move your head, it knows where you are so you can hear something that's there. So 
imagine you're listening to the Beatles and out for a jog and when you turn left you hear more bass and when you turn right you hear more treble. All of that's possible now with even the new AirPods by Apple uh, have spatial audio built in and that's a whole new format not just for music but also for information that um, you know I, I think that we're going to have headphones before headsets that's what I think. And I, and I also think that when we stop getting our information by sitting at a desk and typing, and we start expecting information to come to us and be interactive as we move around and travel through cities, that's where I think audio has enormous potential as, you know, as a way of stopping people staring down at a phone and walking out into traffic. Is there anything else you want to share with our, our listeners before we leave? Uh, with your listeners, I just wanted to say that, you know, please become part of the conversation. So come to our website, sonify.io, access the free tools, sign up for the lab. And in the lab, people talk to each other and people talk to us and they say, oh, this didn't work. And someone else will tell them how to fix it or they'll say, you know, did you ever think about this? Or what really annoys me is that. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> that's how we learn. You know, we, we learn and, and it's uh, certainly age does not come into it because we think that systems should be designed for everyone and, and they should work for everyone. And, you know, the last systems and the systems that we use right now for the web and digital communication they didn't think about people with disabilities. They didn't think about seniors. They didn't. They didn't think about, uh, you know, how how to make tools open and accessible. And, and we need to, going forward, if we're if we're gonna redesign these things, we should redesign them in a, as to be as inclusive and useful as possible. Well, Hugh, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today. This has been you know just an incredibly informative, and so. You know, personally, I've never thought of data in this way or, or something that could really be incorporated into sound. And so so thank you so much. Uh, thank you both. Uh, I, I, I'm super interested in what you're doing, and I think you're really trailblazing. Thank you for inviting me on your podcast. You're welcome. Thank okay. you. All right. Bye now. Bye-bye.